I wanted to go over um, one of the most vulnerable targets in a philosophical war, and it's really the uh, crux of the first movement. It's the first target, um, and that is uh, the absurd. Um, and the death of God. They're, they're two very closely related, and I'll speak about them both generally, and then maybe more specifically for the dictation, but um, I think that the two are inextricably linked, because one looks at the world and thinks that because of the phenomena which we observe, you know, all the unending and what is to our subjective uh, states or our subjectivity, the, the needless suffering that goes on, <clears throat> or those strange things that happen that uh, seem completely devoid of meaning. Um, we come to the conclusion that the universe uh, lacks something which is at its core nature um, good, benevolent, or even intelligent. Um, and you know, our uh, hypothesis, it's not, I mean, I guess we have to frame it as a hypothesis, but we know that the reality of the situation is that that simply isn't true. Um, but, of course, we have to be empathetical to the fact that um, it's certainly to uh, an observer, and we all go through the motions of life, it certainly could appear to be true based on what we see. Um, phenomenologically, or what we observe, or what we we think that we observe, but again, this is all so tied together. Um, it's difficult to to see how how we draw a conclusion, because really, you know, death of God and the absurd is just the conclusion. It's the end, and that's why it's the most vulnerable some of the most vulnerable targets. And that's why it's what we're going after initially. Um, so we're, we're kind of, you know, fighting the, fighting the winnable wars first, or the winnable battles first before uh, trying to capture the king, so to speak. Um, and, and they are winnable because they are on the periphery of um, the, they are the outer defenses um, of an otherwise uh, relatively fortified hold, which um, is conception itself, which we'll speak about you know, at length um, during you know this entire process. But this is sort of you know. This is sort of staying with the enemy. This this reflection. This is this is pre um, pre writing 
we have not begun begun at this stage to to write explicitly uh, or ex any with any extension of, of uh, about any of these topics um, because we need to tackle uh, and we need to be prepared before we do so and um, these dictations will be a way of preparing ourselves of sort of uh, living as a double agent, um, being uh, first a, an advocate uh, for the accused, the, you know, living the life of an accuser, playing the role, um, being a secret agent, and uh, and then exposing it. And so we will try to play devil's advocate, and uh, and then go from there, um, because. Uh, it's only then can we make a real argument, um, because again we are trying to be empathetical to all those, to the entire realm of human experience, um, and we're trying to be dialectical. We're trying to be um, as sensitive as possible to all those who might construe these things uh, in any imaginable way um, and obviously as a, a single subject that, that's difficult to do um, but it is well worth the attempt uh, in regards to uh, well, for the sake of this project so Again, we get to the absurd because, and you know, because uh, and the death of God. And again, I think that the two are extremely similar. And the absurd is that the universe has no implicit morality or no intimate order, no benevolent way of being things spring up there's a power grab at almost every level everything fights for domination over everything else um, and the, the strong survive and uh, you know, the weak plunge into death so um, we have to uh, be extremely sensitive to this, you know, harsh and difficult life in that, you know, which the universe is contained within, um, because it is something that, if we are not sensitive to it, uh, we will perish with it, or because of the lack of sensitivity. And this sets up another of the enemies, and again, they all work in Congress, another of the targets, uh, which is the ego. Um, we have to have a strong ego. We have that ego has to survive that individualistic thing has to pull through and we observe 
so many things happening to other individuals, to other egos. Um, and those things intimately affect our own lives emotionally, physically, otherwise. Uh, and because of that, we look at the absurdity, and we, we call this an absurd life, an absurd universe that we live in, is that things just happen, you know, infants die, uh, children are sent to war, um, you know, good people uh, have the most horrendous things happen to them, there, there is no moral karma, there's no, there's no karmic code, there's no, there's no universal justice to our apparent subjectivity, of course. We sit in this utter awe and shock and wonderment and bewildered by, stifled by, the universal offering of death which lurks constantly around us. So, We call this absurdity, we call this unfair, unjust, we call it unnecessary. Things that happen shouldn't. No, things, things seem to our, our own limited perception as completely unfair and absurd. We're living in an indifferent universe. The, the universe just is the way it is and it has very little regard or mind for us. Um, and this was basically uh, has an existence in the, the death of God in this thought that, you know, only a godless universe could operate this way. That only a universe without a supreme Creator without without mind, the universe that just happens into being, that just sort of by a random act uh, perpetuates its own phenomena and the things that occur within it, or the 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 consequences of that phenomena. It's seemingly uncontrolled, even though it's governed by certain, here's another enemy, scientific laws. And those scientific laws 
give rise to different sorts of phenomena. And, you know, again, everything is interconnected, but... Um, and, you know, we see that interconnection as its own kind of governance. It's, it's self-governance. It's something that's individualistic and that um, this order, this implicate order, arises out of, um, you know, this phenomena and it kind of, you know, it has to turn in on itself in order to, uh, uh, to exist and to survive and everything, uh, you know, in this, this whole scheme is about survival. And that's really all it is. It's, it's about creating itself. Uh, and it's about surviving. There is no look, no looking beyond, however, for um, the reasons. Um, there always has to be a, a reason. You know, why? <laughs> why all this? Why? What's, what's the cause? What's the meaning? And it's the unanswerability, the unanswerable nature of that continual looking for for meaning. Um, that no parent, apparent one exists, and that that's where we we draw our conclusions about the absurdity of nature. Um, even though everything does have a reason. Even though everything does have a meaning. Um, and that should be looked at in greater detail. Uh, but for our purposes here, let's focus on why? Well, if we see that everything has a cause, um, then that cause itself carries a meaning behind it. Cause is the phenomenological um, translation to meaning itself. Birds fly south in the winter because it's warmer down there. Well, what's the meaning of it? Why? Why? Because <clears throat> they want to survive. Well, why? Because it perpetuates <coughs> their species. Well, why? Well, because, you know, they're important to another, you know, species survival. Something that preys on them. Well, what's the meaning behind that? Well, that particular species is, you know, vital to a certain type of plant life, which is you know, vital to a chemical component in the atmosphere, which is vital to the Earth's ability to you know, 
operate, uh, you know, with its the, its current nature, and it goes back and back, and so far until we're left with nothing, no phenomenological reason, really. We're left with. This thought that if you go far enough back in time, or far enough ahead in time, nothing exists and existed, and nothing will exist. And in that, there's an interesting point as well, an interesting thing to think about, so far as meaning is concerned, so far as cause is concerned. As far as relationship is concerned. But to a phenomenologic or to a phenomenologist, to someone who strives for answers that are unanswerable within phenomenology, within those experiences that we have. we're left with this hopelessness, with this fear, with this conclusion that God, if ever it were a real thing, is now a moot point, has now alienated itself, it's marginalized, even, again, if it does exist. And science doesn't need its existence and everything that we have now is more or less predicated and based on science. I mean, human beings are basically the tool masters. So, we have this, this death constantly encircles us. We have this nothingness, this emptiness. This kind of notion that we're just treading water in meaning, in an ocean of meaninglessness. So, oftentimes many people simply stop swimming. They give up. There's no point. They can't see the bottom of the ocean above them. Nothing but sky, ocean all around them, and they're just waiting for the sharks to come and get them. Every wave that hits them, every little bump in the water is you know, pushing them closer and closer. 
to their ultimate destiny of the abyss, abyssness, or <laughs> whatever you might call it. And with so much human suffering, with so much self-inflicted human suffering because of the egos and the power of a few. We are indebted to the wants of a select few individuals and we have become slaves to our own egos, to our own selves, uh, to the egos and to other, to other, uh, to the egos and to the otherness of, uh, well, to other people, I'm trying to say. So, Fading. The things we do fall away from us. Our youth leaves us, our strength leaves us, our actions become distant memories of relics of historical times in our own personal myopic lives and the larger scale of humanity is something a community that was think is supposed to help us to comport our individual states does the opposite often and further ruins us, makes our lives more and more difficult, perpetuates, keeps God at a distance if it does even exist. We even keep ourselves from ourselves. Uh, after all, everything that we experience, we experience, we allow ourselves the experience. We allow ourselves to be affected in a certain way. We take certain things to heart, brush others aside. Uh, 
make light of certain things take personally others. And it's ultimately we who decide to what degree all of these things happen. We let the world in as much as we can without being overly affected by it. But what happens when the effectualness of the world is beyond our capacity to, to deal with? Then we have this notion of absurdity, because notions, concepts, what is not, becomes our reality, because it's the way that we compartmentalize certain things. It's the way that we process this information and we grab at it and it's already concretized within our own being. It's already been, the experience has already enraptured us. It's already grabbed hold of us. And we take all those experiences very personally. And we see things often as very black or white, something which is good for us subjectively uh, or, or bad. Um, Of course, being emotional beings as we are, um, we seldom see the you know long-term implications of this. You know, we 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 can in truth we can of course is you know we know from non-objectivity we can only say that things are good or bad in time. You can only make value statements about something in time. You know, something is only good relationally or bad relationally to other things, to other happenings in time to other two subjects. Objectively, there is no good or bad. But we divide the world up like that because we live within time. We live within this world of continual becoming. All this, all these things come back to, you know, in speaking about all this stuff, I, I can't help but come back to all of you can't talk about one target, one enemy, without listing off the litany of others, because they are all 
weapons formed against reality. So, again, and, and the reason that the absurdity, the absurd, the notion of the absurd, and the death of God are vulnerable targets is because they are on the periphery, they are at the margin, they're on the front lines of attack, and there will be the first thing to fall. And once we break through that first line, in some way the battle will get more difficult, but in others, uh, that first line of defense, because we've busted through it, will show us how to overrun those others because again it's a it's a network it's a complete structure you know you break through the skin to get to the heart uh, and once you pierce the skin you know it starts to bleed and even if you don't connect with the heart or with a vital organ that piercing of the skin could allow the being itself to simply bleed out until there's nothing left for the the vitals to operate with because that these this death of god this notion of the death of god and uh the absurd are you know the vanguards in that first attack, that first wave, they are the the things that really attack us more. They don't occupy us so much as they attack us, and things that attack us have something are trying to gain something. Things that move forward are trying to get a hold on something, which should tell us something. Things that are trying to be framed in a certain way are trying to move on reality. They're trying to move on what is and overtake it. They're trying to overtake what's already there. And I'm not sitting here telling you that, you know, things are this way or that way, or there, that, that there is a stance that I'm defending. What I'm defending is reality and what we are trying to liberate us back into is that harmonious, reciprocating relationship between human being and reality, between real consciousness and real life. And 
the death of God and the notion of the absurdity of the universe are new conceptual events. They're new philosophical happenings. The more modern we become, the more defined our philosophies have gotten, the more particular, the more accusatory, the more attacking. Because they are marching and invading a land that is already occupied by conception. They're like the Gestapo or the unsecretive police. Or maybe the secret police, whatever. Uh, well, that's a bad metaphor, but <laughs> they're like the they're like yeah, this is the Gestapo. I mean they're they are the force that is there, the that continues to berate. If we are occupied by conception, if we are occupied by imagery and phenomenology and uh, the, the, this, this notion of confusion, then the death of God, this meaninglessness, this absurdity, these are the thing, these are things that are the enforcers within that occupied land that prowl around and pick on the innocent civilians of reality, the innocent modes of being that just simply are and then these theories, these short-sighted, and I call them short-sighted because, again, it looks at only a few small things, a few small details, and holds them in higher esteem than all the miraculousness, all the beauty, all the, the glory of the world. And it holds up these bad apples of reality, most of which have gone rotten because of our own doing to ourselves and what we've allowed ourselves to be through this perpetual want of becoming. And these things attack us from what they call an objective position. And they call themselves objective because, again, they look at phenomena, they look at the world itself, and focusing on these small happenings or focusing on the perceived evil of the indifferentness of the universe. They 
hold a mirror to it, or they claim to hold a mirror to it and say, how can love something that is proclaimed to be love itself allow this how can anything but an unconscious framework perpetuate such a thing as disease as someone sitting innocently in their home to have a car drive through it and kill the, you know and these things are absurd and they are horrible because it exposes the fragility of our own lives and how desperately short how painfully filled they can be. And yet they ask us these theories, these enemies, these things that barb and prick at us, ask us to focus only on those small moments. But it's as if, because they pander to our egos, they pander to our own weaknesses, they take an instance where something life-altering happens to something an event happens to us that breaks our bodies or breaks something our minds or breaks something within our lives that alters its physical component the image of it the surface element. However, it fails these these the 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 secret police the the Gestapo force of you gotta think of a different word for Gestapo but this this force this enforcing force jabs at us and it refuses but it and exposes our, our weaknesses and exposes all these surface things but it doesn't acknowledge our spirit 
and it doesn't acknowledge the miracles that happen in daily life and the routineness of of living it says look at the difficulties look at what other people have don't you want to be something else wouldn't you like to be that person who's got all these things wouldn't you like to be in this person's financial situation or that person's love affair or any handful and variety of of things we are tempted into looking at through this whole notion of the absurd, through this whole notion of the death of God. It says, humanity just went through this giant war. How could a God let this happen to so many people? How could a God exist love exists benevolence exists in a world that you know, a, a priest can leave his bible group and step off the curb and get hit by a bus where's what's real about A world that fades into bleak nothingness. What's meaningful about a life that ends? That is surrounded by other lives, all lives that end, all phenomena that ends. It's meaningful about that. It's absurd. It's crazy. Why would we even put up with it? And Camus says we have only one real philosophical question, and that is suicide. Do we kill ourselves? Do we continue to play the absurd game? We're stuck in a game, this game of, of real life. That has no rules. And when it does have, or maybe more accurately, that 
seems to have a certain set of rules at one point, and then when you've learned and mastered those rules, or at least learned to accept them, even though they might be unfair to you or unjust or seemingly, you know, inherently oppressive or geared totally against you. Once you at least learn to live with that, then the rules change. Or the game ends, and you lose. Perceptively. So where's the justice in that? You know, religions have said... almost insultingly to many people that there's an eternal life waiting for you after this just you know that's Christianity is the ultimate Platonism is because this is just the image you know, the real exists beyond We all have to come to our own decisions. About what is real and, and, and what isn't. Or what's important and what isn't. And most of us many of us, if not all of us, at some point in our lives, uh, have refused to believe or have put this life or what we perceive uh, as happening to us here and now as more important um, or as the only thing that we can grasp on, grab onto is something more important than that, you know, difficult to access realm of uh, a religious heaven or a nirvana or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. And again, some people have think of this concept as insulting or as a spiritual or mental slave system. It seems to me, and again dialectically we could look at this from another point, that, but it seems to me that the slave system is the system that keeps you attached to things that are fleeting <laughs> and here in phenomena. That would seem to be a much more uh, inhi inhibiting and limiting system. But to kind of digress uh, from, from that particular uh, thought and go back to this idea of the insulting nature of a uh, of a heaven of a place that uh, redeems all of this.
I think we have to think about what is redemptive? What does redemption look like? What is redemption itself? Do we need redemption? Do we need something which brings us back, completes us, makes us whole? Why do we look for it? I think the answer for most of us is that we do need redemption because we are unwhole as individuals because of our attachments to phenomena, because of our wants to uh, be gods in this life, to be kings of this kingdom. We don't look very much beyond We seldom look again at the reason behind the phenomena. And I'm not talking about this short-sighted and shallow saying of, oh, everything happens for a reason. That term is so washed out and has no color anymore. It doesn't vibrate in a way that maybe it once did. It's becoming more and more useless and more and more torn up like an old pair of jeans every time we bring it out. So we have to find a new way of approaching that and a way of expressing it. So I'm asking where do we find reason? Or is reason just one of these things like redemption? It's a concept. And maybe we should just live more with how things are, through what is, through acceptance. And the prime accusation or implementation of the death of God is that, uh, again, even if uh, there is a God, I mean, it's simply not needed anymore. Um, or, aside from if, you know, forget if there is a God or not, but uh, there is simply no need for a God. The God uh, to 
can be explained away by science or by, again, phenomenological happening. And You know, at one point there was no ability for us um, to explain these things scientifically or, uh, or otherwise. So we filled in the gaps and we filled it with, with God. You know, God's will and God's way and, you know, nothing we could do about it or you know again we can't explain a thunderstorm so it's it's God's wrath God's fury or just you know gods of particular happenings particular phenomena and of themselves and that's why you have uh, a sort of polytheism you know different types of gods for different types of things so um The main player, the main contestant, or uh, the main advocate, the main perpetuant of this is that we just don't need a God, that science and technology have, have supplanted a God. But is that true? Is that really true? We, we take that, uh, you know, as such a, <laughs> it's so easy, you know, Oh yeah, science and technology can just explain everything. But it, but is that is that really true? Let's not forget that science is the observation of perceived repetition. An observation it's the observation of repetition and observation what we observation is all we can perceive is is something that we can perceive. It's not it's only what we observe. It's not what really is there. Because what we observe, of course, is limited, as we've said a thousand times before uh, at this juncture. So, we have to acknowledge the fact that science can never speak the language of reason or meaning. It can only speak the language of phenomena. But phenomena itself has to have a connection to something a little bit more meta than itself, to something that is paraphysical, something that is pre-physical. Every physical action carries metaphysical components to it. There's a relationship between these things. Again, you can't have physical, can't have physicalities without something that is non-physical. That's the yin and yang spectrum of things. And we can get into that more deeply at some other time, but at this particular uh, stage, we need to focus on the fact that science can't speak the language of meaning or reason. It can only speak its own language, which is a language that it invented based on the observation of phenomena, of repetition of a sequence of patterns. It, and it searches for patterns. That's uh, it searches to you know to codify everything into laws. Um, and it searches for reality, it does, uh, absolutely, uh, the reality of, of phenomena. 
itself for sure. It, that's nobody's objecting to to that point. Um, but again, it's it is what is behind those realities, those quote unquote realities. Um, that is the true reality. That is the true. An ultimate happening, the ultimate meaning, the ultimate, that is what is. And we need to um, get to that. We need to have some acknowledgement of that in order to see through um, the mirage of phenomena. And science, in its attempt to displace God um, and kill God, has done itself a disservice. Um, well, I guess maybe, I mean, it has done itself a disservice by uh, only looking for phenomena. But I guess that's all it can do. Um, but I think it would be extremely powerful if it kept itself open to some of these other things. To If it kept itself open to this metaphysical happening, this, this relationship, this... this behind the structure of apparency. Um, I don't know exactly at this state how, how it might be able to do that, but um, it would certainly be stronger because I mean, science is really only half of the coin. You know, it's, it's the heads. It's, it's what's out in front. Uh, but there's another side of it, you know, there's there's matter and then there's dark matter, or whatever you want to call it. There's our reality and then there's what makes our reality possible. There's being and non-being. Science only looks at the being, except the funny thing is, is that being comes from non-being. And some people might call that the ultimate absurdity. And I suppose in a way it is. But what does a universe where there is no, f there is just perpetual being look like? What does a universe where there is perpetual existence look like? What does a universe look like that is more or less static and not transient and not dynamic?
that it would seem is actually non-existence because it doesn't because existence is change that's what existence is it's interaction something that has has the stasis is in the way that we know this universe to be that's that would that is unreality that is absurd Nothing happens in that universe. There is no need, there is no reliance on anything else in that universe, right? Everything already is. Potential is not a thing. It's, there, there's, there's no need for relationship. There's no need for you know, dynamicism, you know, something, anything that is dynamic, there's no, there's no reliance, there's no relationships. There's no, in a, in a universe that is perpetual, there's, there's no, nothing to find out. There's nothing to look at. That is the opposite of, of our reality. And maybe that's a reality that, maybe that's a universe that is what we're striving for, what we want, because that's pretty much the idea of heaven. So I think a, a good thought experiment would be, and I don't know what, what it is or what it looks like, but it would be a good thought experiment about to create a universe where Everything already is. Nothing is, you know, nothing dies. Nothing goes away. Nothing has need for reliance on, on anything else. Because everything just is, all at once, all together. I mean, what, I, that's absurdity, you know, with that everything exists, you know. In this universe, the beauty of it is that there's a chance to overcome. There's a chance to rise. There's a chance to, to be more than ourselves. There's a chance to to look at something that is supposed to be impossible, to confront it, and get beat down by it and get beat down by it and lose ourselves in that confrontation but then to eventually rise up above it I mean, again what what is a universe that that everything all that stuff is already there and i know that 
we've labeled becoming as an enemy of uh, you know this 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 war but I think we have to draw a distinction and you know they're all concepts of course but the, we have to draw a, a distinction between uh, becoming and the relationship because in a universe where everything exists on its own there's no relationship everything simply is whether it's a phenomena or it's it's a, a you know a physical happening or a, an emotional state or there's no reliance on everything else in this universe the one that we experience in our reality everything is relational Again, it's a thought experiment that, that should be flushed out. But, but what does a universe where everything is sustained look like? And there's no need for, for relation. Everything is isolated and alone. And that's what it is. It's isolated and alone in a universe that is constant, that is perpetual. And that relationship is... or the, in, in that universe, the re relationship is is unnecessary in fact it's it's anti-universe that's not a universe in fact that's that's just a single thing that's an, an eternality an eternality that's something that's divided something that's dissected and unwhole And in this universe, it's we're nothing but potential, because we are everything else. Because we are all re related. Because <laughs> everything is dynamic. Everything is with and lives with a part of everything else. In, in a universe that. And, you know, maybe this is the idea, again, of, of a heaven or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, but that universe is cold and alone and absurd. And it has its own reason because it doesn't rely on anything. There is, no, there is truly no reason... In that universe, there's no there's no point that that universe is absurd because the thing itself, the continual, forever eternality of whatever it is, is its own purpose. It's it's alone. It doesn't need anything. And, Here, if you take this need for relationship to the furthest level, to the highest extensions, you come up with something extremely profound, something that science can't touch. You come up against 
something that is beyond science, that's beyond phenomena, that's beyond reason, that's beyond the accusations of non-existent, you know, that that a reality outside of what we can observe, you know, it doesn't exist. So again, we have to look at meaning. What's behind What's behind it? What's behind this? In a universe where that is perpetual, that is eternal, you know, no, nothing started, nothing ever. <laughs> there's, there's no cause for anything. Everything exists together, at the same time, at once. Except it's not interactive, it's isolated and alone. Nothing feeds off of itself. It's, again, it's not a universe. That's, you know, a single note. A single resonance. That's something that's self-perpetuating and again that that to me I think is the definition of absurdity so far as you know we are able to conceive it of it and and how we live in this universe where everything is possible where we come up against things where we look at ourselves where we are reflective where we are dynamic where we are interactive and yeah that all those things go away we die to those things to those experiences we change with them but they're somehow also concretized in experience they somehow resonate eternally because of that relationship that we have, that we've, that we've forged with them, because of the relationship that, because of their interconnectivity, because they're not from an eternal, they no, don't live in with a, within an eternal universe, within an eternal being. They have a, a life because of relationship. They become eternal. Again, in, an, in an, a universe where everything is, where everything is already, nothing changes. Where everything is eternal, quote unquote, already. There's no real past or future. Or no matter how hard you pluck the chord strings of that universe, there's no vibration there. How could there be? Because 
it's already happened. Again, even speaking, thinking about that kind of universe is absurdity. That's true absurdity. But in this universe, we look at its changing, its temporality, its apparent harshness, and we call it absurd. We, we say that there is no God or that we've rendered it a antiquated being as if we're more powerful than you know the thing that created everything because we say that what created everything wasn't really anything, but that's just the point that non-being, that the, the being comes from non-being. So there's this meta-relationship there already, inherent in the structure of being. There's something that already exists next to being, para-being, para-reality. would look in any other makeup than it, than it does currently in, in this in this configuration uh, without that particular universe being completely absurd what would we learn what would our place be in a universe of eternal things what what is that Really, there's no phenomena there. It's always raining and it's always sunny at the same time. Well, you know what? We are always ourselves. But again, what is our self? What is the self? Where can we identify the self? What point? Where? What do we look at and say, that's me? How do we... What is it a is it a thought? Is it something that we do? Is what what's the self? Now we have these constructions in our minds about what we who we are, what we think that we are. And we hold so tightly to them. And normally you ask somebody who they are and they'll tell you, well, I'm, you know, you know, I'm Joe and, you know, I've got this particular job and I had these come from this family and, you know, these experiences and they seldom tell you what they think. 
uh, or the, maybe it's apparent by their you know occupations or what they what they say, but they seldom really tell you what they feel, what they really think. I mean, I'm not saying what they think about you know politics or what they think about you know the sports or but what, how they think. How could they? Because they don't know. Because they, because we don't know. We don't, you know. It's okay that we don't know. By the way, it's 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 fine. It's it's healthy, probably. Because again, we're in this universe that is discovering. We're in this process of discovering. We're children looking at our fingers for the first time. Staring, looking at our hands. When I was born, uh, you know, I was a little bit more developed than uh, uh, most babies physically because I'd been uh, uh, in the womb for for ten months, and so I was an overcooked egg. And uh, you know, when I got out, I could I could see perfectly. And I, I I just my mom said I and the nurses said I kept looking at my hands just, and 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 that that's what we are. We're just we're we're looking at our as human as human beings we're looking at our hands we're saying what what are these things what are they for <laughs> in a, in a sort of a meta way we're we're looking at how do we implement this we see these are attached to our body they it moves in a certain way we respond they're they're somehow in the universe and yet they're a part of us at the same time we have control over them at the same time they're dynamic, they're relational, they're interactive, just like the universe itself. The absurdity the only realm that I can think of where there is no possibility of a god. There is no potentiality. Where is one where there is no potential at all because it's already been. It already is. Yeah, even in something that is in a space of nothingness. Nothingness is, of course, all potential. So, especially in a space of nothingness, I can imagine a god. Or anything, a universe full of anything, but in eternality as we have come to conceive it, I imagine nothing, because there is, there's no imagination. <laughs> Everything already is, whatever that means, or has been, or And that universe is an absurd and completely, uh, and one completely devoid of a god. Or it is the, the death of a god in that particular universe, which, as we may find out, is in and of itself absurd. <laughs>